I hope you enjoy and find insight in the following conversation with Iowa House Representative Eddie Andrews. Representative Andrews is not just a name on a ballot. He embodies the very essence of what this podcast stands for, an unwavering dedication to understanding, unity, and positive transformation. From door knocking to enacting policy reforms, his journey is a testament to the impact that one individual can have on a community. Serving as a living example of accessibility and genuine commitment, Eddie Andrews represents District 43 with a passion that resonates far beyond its boundaries. During this conversation, you will discover that not only does he represent his district, Eddie represents all of Iowa as the international chair and co-founder of the Taiwan Friendship Caucus, brokering beneficial trade between Iowa and Taiwan. Advocacy courses through his veins as he champions mental health reform, family safety, and quality education options for every child. His positive vision for Iowa and the people he serves is a reflection of the dedication that fuels his tireless efforts to make a tangible difference. Representative Andrews also stands as a staunch defender of our fundamental rights. The First Amendment's harmonious dialogue of voices and the Second Amendment's vigilant guard. His commitment to these rights further defines his role as a beacon of true representation. So whether you're listening from the heart of Iowa or joining us from across the globe, prepare to be captivated by the depth of ideas that will color your journey of discovery. I'm Oliver Bardwell, your host, and I invite you to join me and our insightful guest on a voyage through the following thought-provoking conversation. Representative Andrews, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the opportunity to talk. I imagine it's been a pretty busy summer for you with all the campaign events and and all the candidates coming through and everything else that you have going on. It has been extremely busy. And then in my uh, new role as um, the International Relations Chair, um, and also co-founder and co-chair of the Taiwan Friendship Caucus. I've also spent a lot of time not in Iowa, or uh, I had the privilege of representing the state of Iowa in, in Taiwan. Um, that was a fascinating uh, event. Uh, spent some time at the border, spent some time with some uh, uh, Mandela Washington scholars and uh, the Young African Leadership Institute. So I spent a lot of time uh, outside of Iowa and promoting Iowa to other areas and receiving a lot of information and, and encouraging trade. Uh, it's not typically the the role of a, of a state representative, but we've uh, uh, been successful at doing that. Two years ago, we started the uh, Taiwan Friendship Caucus, followed up by the governor spending two point or signing a $2.6 billion trade agreement directly with Taiwan um, and part of my job was to uh, continue that effort and, of course, serve our constituents. So it's been a very busy, extremely busy summer. Wow, that's really interesting. And how did you get appointed to that position? Well, you know, sometimes ignorance is bliss. You know, you get into to office and you you see a need and you, you just fill it and you, you're not necessarily familiar with all of the time an effort that's going to go into that. So two years ago, uh, which would have been my first year in office, um, I co-founded the Taiwan Friendship Caucus. Uh, there were four of us, uh, Zach Nunn, back when he was a state senator, and we wanted to make sure that it was um, bipartisan. And so uh, Senator Nate Bolton and uh, at that time, Representative Kristen Sunday uh, were also part of that four-person uh, core Representative Sunday decided not to run. A state Senator Zach Nunn decided to become Congressman Zach Nunn. And uh, so uh, both uh, Senator Bolton and I were were left. Uh, we, we've since added some names to that. Uh, Senator Sweeney is now on that team, but she decided not to go. But uh, um, And then, of, of course, lots of other activities going on. Wow. And how did you find Taiwan? I mean, my my oldest or my sons just went on a trip to Taiwan early this summer and they really enjoyed it. Loved oh the country. It was extremely 
uh, welcoming. I can't think of another country that is more pro USA than than Taiwan. As a matter of fact, on, on the day that I landed, I actually had a a uh, kind of a faded USA um, hat on and just being trying to be uh, respectful of their culture. Um, I just kind of noted to someone, I said, is anybody going to be offended by, you know, a pro, you know, there's, it's not a non, not a pro Taiwan hat or anything like that. And they're like, oh no, please wear that. And I got to tell you, we were afforded lots of opportunities uh, when our delegation showed up and they found out that we were from the U.S. Oh my goodness, you guys are in the front of the line. Uh, go here, go here. Oh, you got to do this. And so they were very welcoming. Uh, we spent a lot of time. Trust me, it was not all fun and games. We were busy from dawn to dusk every single day. Uh, Ministry of Agriculture, of course, um, because that that trade agreement involved, uh, you know, that $2.6 billion trade agreement was a lot of corn, a lot of soybeans, a lot of tech transfer. Uh, we we spoke with their, uh, I believe, the second largest semiconductor there uh, at their office. Uh, we spoke with the Chamber of Commerce there, uh, the embassy that's not an embassy, right? Uh, we spoke with their education, the Ministry of Health. Um, it was a full-fledged dawn to dusk. And, of course, we got some cultural sites in as well. Um, just on a personal note, just what was fascinating to me was, uh, a, their love for baseball and, hmm. <laughs> uh, their baseball is not like our baseball. Their game is like our game. Um, but we go there and we find out that it's a, there were really two events going on there. There's a dance party, all nine innings. There is no such thing as a seventh inning stretch. They literally are dancing full fledged cheerleaders, uh, DJ, uh, back and forth the entire game. Absolutely. I've never seen anything like that. Um, meanwhile, while a major league quality team is actually playing on the field, there's a dance party in the entire stand that, that was, that was a little interesting. And then the other cultural thing that I was not prepared for was, um, on the East, uh, first of all, it's 70% forest, uh, that's, forest and cliffs and fjords and but on the east there are roughly 30 well i think recognized as 16 um indigenous native tribes and so who at least on a visual look exactly like you would expect a native american tribe to look like you know feathers and uh, headdress and totem poles and teepees. And uh, I was not prepared for that. That was really uh, culturally. That was kind of interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. That's nothing I've ever yeah. heard about. And I didn't know we had a trade deal with Taiwan either. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what we're there for. And, and a lot of those things don't get pressed. And that's why one reason we talk about it because, um, that is huge for the state of Iowa, but it's also huge for them. We get a lot of technology in in in, re, in return from that. We're in the initial stages of talking about becoming medicine wise independent. Uh, you 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 being you, you right. probably are certainly aware of us being dependent medically on China, right. Right. Like, why in the world would we as the United States be medically independent or dependent upon uh, one of our chief competitors globally? And um, we, we're in talks about, uh, I mean, preliminarily, so uh, with Taiwan assisting uh, with a, I mean, we have the big for, um, lab up in, in Ames and where a lot of that can be made. Uh, we have technology. Uh, and so that's just one of the things that we we talked about, but there are a lot of opportunities. I'm not sure this is the appropriate spot, but sure. certainly education wise, um, getting rid of in certain places, uh, the so-called Confucius schools where Mandarin is taught, but it's also 
comes with interesting baggage. Right. right? Yeah. Some, and so yeah. there are a lot of opportunities to uh, address. And uh, that's just this just touching the surface. Like I said, we were busy from dawn to dusk for the entire trip. It How was, long uh, were you there? I believe it was the 13th through the 23rd. Okay. And then, of course, I took a an extra day in Chicago on <laughs> before I got home. Yeah. It was just a lot. So that's interesting. Wow. And the name of that title is what? So the the You're caucus the- is the Taiwan Friendship Caucus, and so I'm co-founder and co-chair of that. That's fantastic. I did not know that about you. There you go. There's something new. We learned something new today. Every single day. That's we amazing. Keep growing and learning. Um, so today, you know, we w- kind of want to talk about the um, SF 495, or is it 496? 496, probably. 496, the parental rights bill. As parents get their kids back to school this week, and pro- they're probably wondering what protections they have from that bill. So. I thought who better to talk about it than representative Andrews. Oh boy. (laughs) Well, there's a lot there. Yeah. But primarily what that is, the overall purpose of the bill is to make sure that parents are empowered, um, that there's transparency, that there's age appropriate books um, that are available to our children. And uh, that we, don't do certain things uh, on in terms of educating and putting things in front of our K through six students. It should not be controversial. It should just be common sense that you don't uh, just like we don't give hand out cigarettes to nine year olds. Right. Right. You don't ban it. You just say, you know, this is not appropriate for your age. When I got elected, I got to tell you one of the first calls one of the first sets of calls that I got were from parents about curriculum um, and things that were going on in various schools. And I thought, there's no way this is going on. And, and <laughs> I, I know better than this. This is not happening. And then you get another call and another point. You talk with the uh, with administration and you realize there are certain things that are, are happening. Um, certainly certain books are um in required classes, not just available in the library. And then there's a difference between those. Um, And then also the process was such that if a parent had an, had an objection or had a concern, I mean, it would just be, uh, you'd have an alternative book or something like that. But it, in many cases that wasn't, it wasn't done. I mean, remember we represent the entire state and in every case it wasn't done like that. Uh, there'd be a laborious process and then ultimately it would be denied. And then they're like, wait a minute, why is this required? I'm the parent here. Uh, you mean my kid's going to get enough if he doesn't if re- read this book. And so in, in many cases, the, the boards did not listen to parents. And this is in response to, to a lot of that by putting instituting common sense into our, our curriculum. And I, I spoke with Terry Patrick. I did an interview with her and Oh, yeah. what a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. She yeah. <laughs> she wrote an article for us. Um, and then they put out the lookbook, which really gave a detailed look into what actually were in those books. I mean, there's some, some misconceptions that, you know, to kill a mockingbird is being banned or, oh my. or, uh, catch her in the rye or, or something like that. Yeah. That came up in my, um, we didn't really have debates during my last campaign, but we certainly had forums and that came up in a, in a forum or two. And I thought either you're not listening to parents or you're just taking what people are saying, throwing out, like there has not been one parent, one concern about kill them. The mockingbird, kill a mockingbird, or, or uh, what was the one? 1984. No one has brought up 1984. Uh, or what was the other one they kept saying? Uh, uh, somebody said, "Well, 
uh, matter of fact, my opponent said, well, you should be able to learn about the Holocaust. I'm like, nobody's trying to take the Holocaust. Are you kidding me? Not one parent. Like, who are these people listening to? Other than, you know, people with talking points that are way out there. Yeah. yeah. Parents are concerned about overtly sexual themes and, and in some cases, literally porn in some of the books. And I, and if anybody wants to challenge me on that, we can have that debate all day long. Um, And they can justify, you know, make their justification as to why they think porn should be available to uh, K through six. Kids. And honestly, the vast majority of parents from either party, correct, when they see what is in these books, they agree. I mean, it's not. It, right. I think what's happening is they're not seeing what's actually going on. That's a lot of it because when I talk to people in at the Capitol, or when I meet people at uh, uh, Panera or High V or wherever I meet people in the coffee shop. And they'll say, you know, Eddie, I like what you're doing, but I'm not so sure about this book banning. And we're like, well, first of all, there's no banning of books. You can get those books. We're not, <laughs> they're available on your phone. If you really want your kid to, to read that book, download it from Amazon, Barnes, Barnes & Noble, uh, go down the street and get it in 30 seconds. It's not banned. What we're saying is what is age appropriate. And after we understand that, yes, we want kids to read books and we want kids to uh, have a wide range of books. And then we start showing them literally, physically, what is in in these books. And they're like, well, that's probably not appropriate for that group. But, you know, and it, their their positions tend to to, uh, to soften and say, you know what, that's, that's probably not the best book, but I still wouldn't ban it. And then you repeat it's not banned. It's just what is age appropriate. Well, now they can go to Barnes and Nobles and they have a table with a sign that says banned books right as you walk in. Yeah, and they that's have all. all those books laid out, gender, yeah. queer and push and, and the, all the books with the pretty, yeah, I, pretty obscene. I think it serves their, their narrative yeah. um, than what's actually happening. Yeah. And if yeah. they want to continue <clears throat> that, then you, you can make your judgment as to, if they're just unaware of what's in the book or if they're really just repeating that. I, th- one of the funny thing about funny things about politics is, um, well, first of all, I've never really wanted nor expected to be involved in politics, right? That was the furthest thing from my mind. And so I didn't follow uh, local politics like a lot of people. But one of the surprising things is that there is a subset of people who will knowingly miss. Now, this probably doesn't surprise people, but maybe it's maybe I'm just because I'm I was a little naive. But um, who will knowingly repeat misinformation, even though they know the truth, and they will. It doesn't support their narrative. The truth doesn't support their narrative, so they'll just continue to say what does support their narrative, irrespective of the truth. And that's to me like, wow, I, that just seems so foreign to me. Just speak the truth. Yeah, for sure. That would be refreshing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, How do they, how are they going to monitor that? That's one small portion of this bill that we're talking about. Sure. And it's the um, age appropriate materials. How will that be implemented? I, I know we have a new uh, director at the Iowa Department director of Education. Snow. Yeah, well, say that again. Snow, Director Snow. Director Snow, yep. And they've done some reorganization quite a bit there. How how will this happen? You know, how will I think schools are kind of jumping on board and and trying to follow they're putting things out, hey, we're going to follow this and they've got their committee where they interpret it and then they they're trying to make sure they follow that law. Sure. How, how does that happen? So first of all, yes, we do have a new department of education director and um, she just came on board what last month. And so I don't know exactly her management style, but um, I'm, you know, what a great timing for her. Wow. <laughs> Was there, wasn't there a new one prior to her? 
He, so right, uh, Chad Aldis. Okay, Aldis, uh, I didn't was, realize we had a new one in the last yes, month. He came in. Was it March? Right, ish. Yeah, and um, maybe a little later. I'm sure you know it's you can go the actual time, but not for very long. And I know that when I tried to get a couple of meetings with him, um, they kept getting pushed back. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And so at some point we heard the announcement that he was uh, going to go spend some time with his family. And I, I don't know any more details than that. And that a new director was, was announced. Wow. So great timing for her. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> Why right jump in, in when things are smooth, right? Wow. And, Have you uh, met her? I've not yet. Uh, okay. So hopefully we'll be able to meet her next month. Okay. That's, that's right. the goal. And in September, we'll have a sit down. And, um, but I have sent her office a couple of emails and left a voicemail. Uh, one of, I spoke with one of her, her team members and, um, you know, let her get a few things out of the way and school started, uh, at least for our group, it just started today. And then we're going to have a sit down and <clears throat> just personal. And uh, so I don't know exactly what her management style is, but it really is pretty clear uh, to the school districts. I know there were one or two school districts that were, um, you know, um, kind of uh, asking for a lot of direction, but it, it really is clear. It's described in detail in the bill what is allowed and not allowed, but it reminds me of the old Supreme Court case, right? In was it night in the 1960s where the guy was trying to define porn and he says, Well, it's something that we may not be able to fully define it, but we can certainly see it when we we know it when we see it, right? Right, right. And I think the Iowa legislature did a fairly decent job of actually defining what is and is not available. Yeah, it was pretty explicit, yeah. the definition. Yeah, and so if that's in there, then you can't have. Uh, the, the kids can get another way, but certainly not. It's our, our job at, at, in the schools, our job is to educate the kids, not teach it, um, an ideology or a doctrine or a, um, or porn. I mean, that's not the job of our schools, right? Reading, writing, rith- arithmetic, as we used to say, yeah. um, we might say basics, back to basics or STEM, but certainly academics. And if it's a controversial um, issue, um, that belongs to the parent for moral upbringing. As a matter of fact, there's actually a division. I hope it's okay to say this, but uh, Division 4 is uh, talks specifically about that. Division 4... I believe item number two is effectively the same parental rights bill that I introduced in 2021 uh, that passed the house, I believe unanimously and uh, got bogged down in the Senate and never passed, but it effectively reiterates what we all have known, not only all of our lives, but the entirety of humanity, right? That parents are responsible for the moral upbringing uh, of their child. And, uh, oh, okay. You're bringing it up right yeah, now. Yeah. I have it. Uh, I have it up on the screen. Division yeah. four subject to section 147.164 as enacted by the 2023 Iowa accident file 538, a parent or guardian bears the ultimate responsibility and has the fundamental constitutionally protected right to make decisions affecting the parents or guardians, minor child, including decisions related to the minor child's medical care, moral upbringing, religious upbringing, residence, education, and extracurricular activities. Any and all restrictions of this right shall be subject to strict scrutiny. In other words, you can't, you know, take a kid because they don't get a COVID shot or something like that, that the quote unquote authorities don't agree with or something like that. Um, what is the pushback? What What is the pushback on that? I mean, you hear, well, we're the experts. Parents aren't the experts. And, you know, for me, that's just common sense. You know, you raise your kids, um, they're your responsibility, especially all the moral up- upbringing stuff. And to, you know, subcontract that out to somebody else doesn't seem like what we're signing up for when exactly. we send our kids to school. 
When you pull around that little loop by the school and you drop your kids off, you're dropping them off to learn math and geometry and spelling, not to, you don't sign off your moral upbringing responsibilities to anybody, um, period, full stop. And you know, you, you, you suggested, and I'm not sure if this is intentional, but um, you brought up a point about the experts. And that's one reason we have to be careful about the language that we use because um, we hear now that, you know, so-and-so is the expert, they have a degree behind their name, right? Or the other phrase is professionals. We're the professionals. And so I push back on that and, and I say, so are you saying parents are unprofessional? Are you, and, and make them respond to that, not, and put them on the defense to explain why they think, um, and certainly not necessarily widespread, but enough, uh, feel like they should uh, learn the way that quote unquote professional believes uh, is the correct moral stance or moral view on an issue rather than the parent. And like, dude, the parent's a parent. The parent's a parent. And as we've learned in the last couple of years, we can find an expert to support any <laughs> opinion that we have and they can battle <laughs> yes, it out. Although the one expert's censored and the other one's not. Yes, sir. <laughs> and they're done that. We yep. have seen lots of things over the last couple of years. Yeah. 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 So Make expert, spin. The, the minute someone says they're an expert, I I'm suspect or professional I, or professional. I'm like, okay, <laughs> right. Professional at what? <laughs> um, so the transparency portion of the bill, how does that work? Well, actually, that builds on some of the other transparent um, uh, bills that we passed over the last little bit um, that really just state you, you need to make your curriculum available. Parents uh, should be able to see what's available and what's not available and, and on and on and on. Yeah, it's, right. that's, that's actually right. a simple part of that. And the, um, you know, the gender identity portion where um, there has to be some reporting if a child wants to take on a different pronoun uh, than their, you know, gender from birth or a different name right. that's a different gender. Um, how about that? How does that work? Well, yeah. again, common sense. Common sense. Right. Uh, being inclusive does not ever mean the exclusion of a parent like and that's what some people were effectively trying to do like again those quote-unquote experts and professionals knew better than the parents right again i and i i have to be clear i'm not referring to all teachers right but there are those that you have to write those laws for uh, because there are cases in iowa where things were happening at schools or Somebody was uh, encouraging transitions, even with and and intentionally keeping parents out of the loop. Like, yeah, and when when that when that bill was put forth through the house as a standalone bill, I testified for it. Ah, and okay. what I was hearing in that room over and over by the experts was safe space. You know, they were keeping this information from parents because maybe it wasn't a safe space for these mm -hmm. kids. And my my rebuttal to that was maybe we need to redefine safe space because right. normally that's with your family. That's your safe space. Right. Right. I mean, I don't even know what to say to that because it's it used to be common sense. Right. And. I challenge people to find almost anyone seven or eight years ago who believed any of this stuff, like on either side of the aisle that, um, that, that would have supported any of this. And it's not due to all of a sudden enlightening enlightenment. Um, but it's really a shift of people who think they know better than parents. And that's, you know, not on our watch. Right. Right. And I've seen 
where they're they're now requiring parents to fill out a form or a release, like if their daughter's name is Elizabeth, to be called Lizzie. Right. And that's not the intent, right? Right. You're not talking about, you know, Lizzie or Ed and Eddie. (laughs) You know, maybe your name's Edwin or... Right. And uh, So now you have to fill out a permission slip to be called Ed. Ed. Right. No, you're not talking about that kind of stuff. You're talking about, you know, there's there's... There's something to legislative intent, right? Right. the The intent of the law uh, was certainly discussed on the House floor and the Senate floor, right? But uh, and in subcommittees and committees, right? We know what the intent was. The intent was not to to say you can't use a common nickname, but if you're William, yeah, Bill, right? Right. But you're not Sally, Helena, right? Right. That's where uh, if that's going on at the school, yes, your parents should know that. And why is someone trying to hide that from their parent? Um, Let's let them answer that question. Right. Right. And I think we have the um, opt in on surveys instead of opt out now. Correct. And that's going to be a big change. Um, It's huge. Yeah. Because at times we were seeing the the opt out wasn't even coming to parents, and if it does, it gets lost in the email at times, and then uh, it's it's a lot easier to put a survey on a kid if it's opt out than if it's opt in. Right, and then we there are still some concerns. Some people still have questions about what happens to that data. Uh, who has access to that data? Is it sold? Is it um, um, and so we're still looking at that. Well, sure. With Second Step and SEL, um, they, under their privacy policy, they had the right to do whatever they wanted with yeah. the data, sell it to whoever they wanted to. Right. There was talk of it becoming a digital backpack that traveled with the kid from right. school to school. And are you really comfortable with companies having data on your kids and effectively modeling your kid? Um, because they can do that. They can do with that data, what they want to do with that data and maybe use it for marketing to your kids or selling to your kids or whatever. Uh, and are you really comfortable with that? And so again, informed consent is important. Yeah. And the, and the nature of some of the questions, leading questions, uh, when you're surveyed or when you're asked a psychological battery, which over the period of a year, it ended up like being a full psychological battery in some cases. You're you're being led by the question to believe certain things. Yes, I'm. I'm just going to say yes. Yeah, so you have to be careful. Right, right. The questions you ask yourself and the you know, Google your brain for this. You're, you're right. going to get and, answers. And some to parents that. are fine with that. You know, yeah. some parents are like, yeah, this is great. Have all the data. You know, you can get it anyway. You know, and that's just. That's their their choice. What were some of the other things in the bill that were important? So we have transparency. We have opt-in on the surveys instead of opt-out. Um, I have a like about a five-page summary. I'm sorry, a 14-page <laughs> summary of the summary. Right. Um, but there was a, a portion about um, just how the the healthcare related training for school personnel, like a lot of little things that are, are part of a bigger bill uh, talks about mandatory reporters. Ultimately, I guess you can look at this as giving parents greater awareness of what's going on in their schools and then protecting kids from certain things that shouldn't be taught to them. There's also another bill um, that touched on, it was also education related. Um, it was more of a teacher empowerment bill. The, the nickname for this one was the government. Let me get this right now. The governor's parental empowerment bill. Uh, there's also the teacher empowerment bill. And that bill came actually that one. Uh, I played a significant part of that one. That was, um, I'm not in, on the education committee, although I did ask to be on that. Um, can't be on everything. 
but uh, I was able to host a a group of teachers. Um, we had heard a lot from administrators, superintendents, school boards. We had heard a lot from parents, but we hadn't really heard a lot directly from teachers. Teachers generally like to they like to teach and stay out of the the nonsense and the politics part of it, right? If they can. And, um, you know, that's their calling <laughs> to teach. Um, and so I got a couple of calls and I thought, why don't we invite the teachers in? And we made it open to everyone at kind of at the last minute, we probably would have even had even a larger attendance. But, uh, I think the, the last day I said, um, yeah, just everybody, Come on, anybody who's interested in hearing these teachers. And it was the most uh, amazing meeting. One of the guys said it literally is the best meeting he's ever been in his, in his entire life. Uh, our mouths were dropping for like about two, two and a half hours or the, the, the long, however long the meeting was. And just hearing their concerns. One of the things that I thought was interesting is that almost every one of the women that were there had said they had experienced some sort of violence. Almost everyone, I think, that spoke that was a woman. Um, and one said, well, we I'm generally okay because there's a guy that's in my pod. And I thought, well, that's not how, <laughs> that's not the requirement that we should be, uh, that should not be the standard, right? And so a lot of their concerns about were, were also about the, extra stuff that they have to teach social emotional learning um, the leader in me all these other things that took time away from their actual curricula things that they needed to teach but they had to teach all this extra um, social stuff that they felt like was was getting in the way of of the true educational parts and it's funny they there was a lot of teacher speak in in that meeting you know, um, and sometimes we stopped and asked for explanations and sometimes we just let them go. But all of them had, they knew like to the minute, like how much they had to average on in terms of, uh, teaching time versus this time versus that time. And it was really, when you put it like that, when you only have, and I'm just going to throw out some numbers. Uh, if you're a teacher, <laughs> forgive me. Um, but let's just say you have 40 minutes of teaching time, but you, you have 30 minutes of this, but you have two minutes of this and two minutes of that and two minutes of that. Um, if you have to teach so much of the other stuff that does limit over the course of a year, so many minutes of your actual subject. So that was really interesting that that was top of mind on, on almost everyone. Uh, the violence, the. So when you say violence um, there's, I know that, in the past, there's been a, I mean, they've cleared the room for a kid that's mm-hmm. throwing a fit or something instead of sending the kid to the office or disciplining right. the kid. How is that changing or well, how, how will that bill help those situations? Okay, so this this is a little interesting to a lot of people. Uh, and it was interesting to me that, because uh, I grew up the old school way, right? <laughs> right, right. Go see the principal and yeah. get the paddle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and uh, the truth is, I was that guy too. You know, back in the day, um, got sent to the principal, and then you got in trouble at home too, bud. So, are you saying you were a little bit rowdy as a kid? I could have been. <laughs> right. There's a there's a theory. There's a rumor. Okay. Um, but and then your parents got on you, and you straightened up, right? But I had never heard of clearing a room. Prior to that meeting, I didn't realize the the structure of it because there's actually a program that as one of the teachers ex- expressed to me or to the to the group um of legislators and there were probably i don't know it was standing room only in that meeting so i'm guessing i don't know anywhere from 15 to 20 legislators and then the teachers and and who were there in one of the cases in one of the districts and every district is different but in that particular district they had a program that required you to say something positive before you could say something negative. You had to say something positive a number of times before you could say something negative to that child, which I thought was silly. So instead of saying, Hey Bob, 
Bobby, stop kicking Sally, right? You'd have to say, you know, I, I value your um, assertiveness or I'm, I see that you're passionate about this. And, you know, but we don't do that to Sally. Instead of just saying, stop kicking the girl, you know. And it was just like a process that they had to follow. And I thought, this is like the silliest thing I've ever heard of. Uh, like what? Um, and part of that, to take that to another level, you had um, uh, the understanding, and I put that in air quotes for those who can't see, that the other kids had to understand why the other child was misbehaving. And that was part of the lesson that they would have to understand why somebody, uh, what was causing that person to be disruptive. Instead of addressing the disruptive student, sending them out of the class, and then letting the other students learn. Right? So it took... I just don't understand how this and, kind of stuff gets implemented and and becomes common practice. Somebody with a degree somewhere. Some expert. <laughs> <laughs> but there was also uh, one... Uh, and and these teachers, by the way, were from all over Iowa, from Eastern Iowa, from Central Iowa, uh, from Western, just all over. But there was actually one from Central Iowa, I will say, that uh, they had said a kid, they'd called the police on this child for, I want to say, several times during the school year, the previous year. Um, and... It continued that last year. I guess technically we're in a new year now. Uh, it started, at least in our district, today. But um, that child was then just relegated to uh, be in their own office and effectively just play games all day. And how is that preparing that child for the future? It's not. And so that's a long way of saying why we... Um, started the 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 teacher empowerment. Well, there's a book that I I remember hearing about, and I watched this father talk about it, and it was why Meadow died, mm -hmm. and it was those kind of practices. I don't know if you've heard of it, but I think I've it was a shooting it. in Florida, and this kid that did this, he had been the police had been called on him several times, but they just ignored it. Sometimes they didn't even call the police, and it was this whole new idea of you know, the school to prison pipeline trying to interrupt that. So, so this kind of same kind of disciplinary stuff that you're talking about or complete lack of it. Um, I think an attorney came and took the case and they, they sued the school. And I mean, it was an interesting thing, but it was this idea that we can let kids, it's better to let them act out and do everything and not discipline them because we don't want them to get into trouble somehow. Right. And yeah, I've seen that logic before, but the point is we ended up writing a bill, the teacher empowerment bill to also require each district to have a policy. Like if somebody does X, then here's a minimum that a minimum action that should be taken referral to a principal's office or refer to a counselor or something like that. Right. Because sometimes the teachers weren't able to send exactly the child to the principal's office. The principal had been saying, don't send them to me, just take care of it. Right. And it doesn't mean that you can't, um, it's just, you can't go further. It just means that th these are the minimum requirements that you, that discipline must play a role. Well, that's great. I'm sure the teachers appreciate that. Well, it came from them. Right. It literally came from from that meeting. Um, uh, we had staff there, um, and for those of you who don't know, we have the absolute best staff. I mean, an amazing staff. And when I say staff, I don't mean my personal staff. I mean the the House Republican staff. Uh, there's four staffs there at the at the State House: House Republicans, House Democrats, House excuse me, Senate Republicans and Senate Democrats. All have individual staff members that work on the various topics, right? And I can certainly say that the House uh, Republican staff is absolutely amazing. So they put that together. Right. I mean, right. it's with the yeah. with the rest of the teams, but... Um, That's amazing. Yeah. What other big um, 
big things or big wins did you feel that we had this last session? I thought the entire session. I know. It was just was one thing after the boom, next. Boom, 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 boom. The, obviously, the, the, the big talk was the educational savings account. Um, and really, all that is is just giving kids more options and parents more options. It really, it's subtle, but it's significant. It is changing the model from funds following that, funding a system to funds following that child. Our charge as a state is to educate each child. And when I say this, it sounds a little controversial until you hear the rest of it. Our charge is not to fund a, a system. Our charge is not to elevate a system. Our charge is to educate that child. And one size fits all models don't always work. I'm not sure if I had enough, uh, if I said that correct, but a one size fits all model does not always necessarily work. And you have to have other options. Even for our own family, my, um, our two girls went public K through 12, right? But we adopted a boy. Um, he was in the public system. It didn't work for him. And we pulled him out uh, at least a part of that time until he got his act together. And this is, it wasn't a blind pull. It was after talks with teachers and, and principals and this, that, and the other, and even parents of their, his friends. And just that, that was not working for him. And we pulled him out until he uh, was able to, his grades were up, he was better, a little bit more responsible. And and then at the very end, he was back in the school, in the public school. I, he graduated from, from public school. But um, yeah, the, because even then, that was long before ESAs, we were glad that there were options available and there, in my view, there weren't enough options. And so having more options for parents and, and kids to educate that particular student in the manner that is best for that particular student, um, I'm all for. We up and enrolled our kids to and sent them to a smaller community for years and years. So it's uh, it's kind of an extension of that. I think that parents should have more choice. We published an article by Steve Holt, uh, Representative Holt, and and did an interview with him on why we passed school choice. I'll include that link because it really details the bill. I mean, there's a lot of misconceptions about it. Um, you know, the school still gets, even that first year, they still get 100% yeah. of the funding. So they have time to prepare for not having that student. Right. And then they still get, what is it, 1200 to $1,500 after that. Correct. That they're they're still getting when they they're not even educating that student. Yeah. There's I'm figuring out that in, in regarding education, uh, sorry about the play on words, but we, there's always going to be an amount of education needed (laughs) to understand education because um, first of all, the, the modeling is the, the, the funding model is a little weird. Um, I remember my first year, in uh, <laughs> my first year in understanding um, the education budgets, I, you know, just like most people, I read the budgets. I, I looked at them. I talked to a superintendent, a former superintendent. We went to meetings. And the more I learned about funding for schools, the less I realized I knew. And then it's like, oh, but in this case, special case, you know, you have this. And um, the big three buckets are from the feds, from the state, and then local property taxes. Those are the three big buckets. But trust me, there's a lot of wires going um, lots of ways. And the part from the state, the $7,635 dollars um, $7, this year, changes every year, um, follows that student. And if that student 
wants to be in public school, that follows him to public school. If he wants to be in private school, that the state portion follows him or her to uh, a private school. Um, I listened to a presentation this morning. I was at a meeting, which um, a charter school, uh, the Moines Charter School, opened this past week or a week or so ago. That same seventy six hundred dollars thirty five seventy six thirty five follows that child, but that's out of a budget per child on averages of approximately seventeen thousand dollars. People are just astonished when you say numbers like that. Seventeen thousand dollars per student yeah. is a lot of money to educate a child, um, especially when. Uh, not all private schools can do that. Or s- certainly if, if you're a homeschool, you're not spending $7,600 a student. Um, right. Is there a chance that um, that will move to, to make it so that homeschoolers can access the ESA? We, there is a push for that. Yeah. And I can tell you it will, it will be on day one presented in terms of a bill for the next session. Right. Right. It and makes it was, sense. it was brought up this year. But um, that whole move was a huge push. And so uh, only certain things are in there, right? Right. And even then, there was a three-year ramp to include all students. Well, what do you have for next session? What are your big, um, big projects or things that you'd like to get done that you'd like to talk about? So... You know, we're, we're doing so much. Uh, and, and, you know, even now we've talked about my role as international chair, right. And, and Taiwan and, 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 uh, uh, trade with Taiwan, which again, sounds more like a congressional level than a state level, uh, job, but, um, that's, that's the role we, we signed up for there. But I got into this whole political thing in part to to strengthen our mental health system that has not gone away we've um and because we talk so much about other other things that make the headlines we don't always talk about the other million things that we're doing right that are positive but you just there's not an always an opportunity to, opportunity to talk about them um we've passed i believe 17 bills so far uh since i've been in that address mental health in some way. Um, it's amazing. Even two years ago, we didn't even have telehealth, which is like, what? <laughs> when I got in, it's like, wait a minute. Well, let's, how about let's start there? And uh, many of you guys know we have the 9884. That's a national push, but that was partly, um, it's complicated, but uh, we've been working with uh, the police department, with the even the previous attorney general's office on implementing that it should be nonpartisan. Right. Uh, this year I ran a bill on um, even affecting non-competes in, um, in therapists that would have in some cases prohibited the continuity of, of care, which is uh, mental health care is a little bit different than say like a bone fracture, right? Um, not to dismiss the relationship between a bone doctor, but mental therapist sometimes in many cases, not all, but it requires a trust between that doctor or that therapist. And so um, one of the bills addressed that. Uh, of course we were helped by a court case. So that really came in handy. Um, and so I want to continue the, the 17 things we've done with a other, with an, with more stronger, bills that actually address that, that will reduce the wait times that will actually address the problem that we're facing in many cases. So, um, then of course, more education bills, um, we have to monitor what we have, make some adjustments as needed. Um, I encourage everybody to, to engage with their representatives and senators because we want what's best for every student. And um, if we hear from you, then we know we have that's one more input in there. So don't be afraid to uh, to contact us. Uh, my number is five one five eight hundred Iowa, which is four six nine two 
um, or just Eddie at Eddie four numeral four Eddie at Eddie four Iowa.com. Fantastic. And, and Eddie is very um, available, very accessible. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually love to serve. It's like an honor. It really is the honor of my life to, to be able to serve the state of Iowa in this way. Yeah. And if, if you can't reach him on his phone, for some reason, you'll see him somewhere within the next week. <laughs> Cause Eddie is everywhere. Hashtag Eddie is everywhere. <laughs> I've, uh, people have said everywhere, Eddie, every day, Eddie, I've heard all these Eddie nicknames, but I think, uh, ultimately what they're saying is that I try to make myself available and be where people are and engage them. Um, my, my nephew was, was uh, told me this morning, was it this morning? Yeah, it was like six in the morning. Uh, he was came over the house and he was saying, Eddie, I don't think I've ever seen you, or uncle, I don't think I've ever seen anybody that's more, he had a phrase for it, but um, who tries to listen to other people and um, put myself out there for other people. And that's a lot of things that nobody else would ever see, but it's just, that's just who I am. I just try to help people where I can. Yeah. And you have that demeanor about you that anyone can talk to you and whether you agree or disagree, there's always that level of, uh, Oh, let me tell you this before we go. I got to tell you, uh, one of the favorites, my favorite stories from this session, we had a, we were working on a bill and I won't say what the bill was, but, um, my pharmacist, some was texting and uh, said, "Hey, what are you doing for lunch?" And I said, "Well, I'm actually at the Capitol. Where I'm in a, I'm in a critical meeting that I can't get out of, and uh, it's going to be like uh, one of those five, six, seven hour meetings. And uh, I don't know if I can do lunch." And they're like, "Yeah, I know. I'm down at the Capitol protesting your position. Um, but what do you want for lunch?" <laughs> 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 and um, it was funny. And I said, "Well, since you're buying." Or and she said, "Well, you know, I don't know if I'm buying or not, but let's just I'll just you just send me the bill, and um, or you just pay the bill. I'll just send you the bill." And uh, so she said, uh, "I said so since you're you're getting it anyway um, about tasty tacos." And she says, "No, because I just read your cholesterol. You're not getting that, um, <laughs> but I will get this for you." And she brought it down. And uh, when we had a break, I went out and ate lunch, and and that just shows that people. Certainly a lot of people in my district know that if I disagree with them on one issue, I don't disagree with them. And I'm willing to work with them on the next bill, right? right. Even if we disagree, right. they don't take it personally. And I, I'm i so honored by that. And that just reflects, that story is indicative of so many people in our district where even if they disagree with me, they still support me because they know I'm listening to them on the next bill, even if I disagree with them on this one. That's fantastic. Yeah. So what drives you before you leave? What drives you? <laughs> what what drives you to get up every day and to pound the pavement, to knock all the doors, to work so hard for your constituents? I love people. I love helping people. Um, both my daughters had a comment I and I'm going to get this wrong but and it sounds weird cuz it's 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 a it doesn't flow in the English vernacular but they said something like I don't know if I've ever seen anybody who loves people more than you dad and I just do I love people and I think if we can make their lives better hallelujah you know let's let's try to do that I also love protecting freedoms I think I I know a little bit about what you know why the United States is, has been the beacon of light for so for so long and it's we have to defend that the basics of why that is. I listen to a lot of um people from other countries. I've always been passionate about other cultures as well. You probably know I started Des Moines Spanish Conversation Group 18 years ago. That's a long time ago. Um, but when I hear people from other cultures who come here, many times we, matter of fact, yesterday, met with a group from uh, South Sudan. 
And they were just like, oh my goodness, you have to keep here what makes America great. Why we came here, you have to keep that alive and well. And this is why they, um, and I'm not so much a partisan person, but I'm just going to say this. That's why they, they, they came here supporting Democrats. And they thought, but that's not why we, we can't do that anymore, because they felt like what was keeping the structure of why they're here included in the Republican Party. And that's why they were they're like, dude, uh, we we're su- fully supportive of you and your agenda. So defending those things and helping people is why I do it. That's amazing. And you, you're an incredible person. And we are very lucky to have you at the Capitol. So I'm thanks, honored. Yeah, thanks for everything you do. And thank you. Yeah, I hope uh, we'll see you next time. And everybody check Eddie's Facebook page out and... Eddie for Iowa at Facebook, Eddie Andrews rocks at Instagram because Eddie Andrews was already taken and I had no idea I was going to be a politician at some point. So Eddie Andrews (laughs) rocks. And then just Twitter is just Eddie Andrews or X now (laughs) is Eddie Andrews. All right. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. God bless you. Yep. Have a great day. As we conclude this enlightening episode of the Oliver Bardwell podcast, I hope you're as eager as I am to embark on the voyage of understanding and growth that lies ahead. And I want to share something with you, my friends. The most important thing that I've learned in the past few years is that it's through conversation and dialogue that we're not only able to foster understanding, but also sow the seeds of positive change. Until our paths converge again, keep seeking, keep exploring, and keep the conversation alive.